becoming a mentor to others early in your career forces you to be clear and become a teacher. And that's that's an important part to think about for anybody even earlier in their career is become a mentor because then you have to solidify your beliefs. Hi everyone, it's Robert Gowan here. Thanks for tuning in for Mentors for Military. Be sure to check out all of our social media by looking at Mentors, the number four MIL. So you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and all of our social media accounts the same way. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook team room page. You want to get together with like-minded people, meet up, and also find some other ways to grow professionally and personally? Head over to our Facebook page by searching Mentors, the number four MIL. You'll go to our groups. You'll find the team room page and join it. Get together with other like-minded people. On this episode, we're joined by somebody that's never served in the military but knows a lot about leadership. Ryan Hawk played three years of college football at Ohio University before going into the private sector, climbing the corporate ladder to become an executive, and he now runs the leadership advisory team at Brixia Meyer. He's been a student, a teacher, practitioner of leadership, and performance excellence for most of his life. First as a collegiate and professional quarterback, and now in the business world. He shares what he's learned from his own experience as well as from interviewing more than 250 of the most thoughtful leaders in the world on his own hit podcast, The Learning Leader Show. On this episode, Ryan Hawk joins Scott Johnson and myself to talk about his thoughts on leadership and what he's learned from some of those leaders that he's interviewed. This is... The Mentors for Military Podcast. Well, first off, I just want to tell you, I'm a huge fan of your podcast and really appreciate what you do in in inviting guests that have come from very diverse backgrounds. And to me, you know, every time I've listened to it, you've always brought new perspectives from the, uh, the guests that you bring on the show and everything. And I think that's a really cool aspect to the Learning Leader Podcast. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you noticing that. I take a lot of pride in the fact of um, being able to converse with people from a wide variety of backgrounds and knowledge and wisdom and experience. And so it's cool that uh, you noticed that. No, I think it's awesome. So, okay, let's take let's take the audience back from Ryan Hawk to the very beginning, because as I understand it, here you go from playing college football and uh, I think you were a quarterback, correct? And then That's, somehow, mm-hmm. yeah, somehow you go all the way into podcasting. As I understand it from your bio, you started looking at uh, ways to become, get a PhD in leadership. And there really wasn't one of those opportunities out there. And so you thought this might be the best way. Hopefully I set that stage up correctly. Yeah, as far as, um, so <clears throat> more a little bit more than three and a half years ago, I was uh, managing and, and leading within a company and uh, had a desire to to learn and to really strive to grow and get better. And I felt like I was stagnating a bit. I'd got my MBA. Uh, so I was looking, doing some research and getting my PhD, uh, but did not quite find the program that was perfect for me. So that's when that with a, a few other events happening in my life, uh, I had an incredible dinner with, with Todd Wagner, Mark Cuban's business partner around the same time. Um, and it was, I just learned so much from him telling the stories of them creating broadcast.com and eventually selling it for 5.7 billion. Wow. 
uh, yeah. And so I had that, but I, I had a regret at the end of that night is the fact that I didn't have that conversation recorded. I, I, I wanted to be able to share that story with others and hopefully others could learn along with me. And so, uh, a, a few different things are happening at the same time, uh, at this, as well as the fact that I'm a huge podcast fan, listen to a lot of shows. Uh, I like the interview format. I like long form and I thought maybe there, there's a there's an opportunity for me to do this. And so that's when I really went deep in understanding the nuances when it comes to podcasting, how to create a show, all the mechanics behind it, what iTunes is all about. And and from there, I, I, I decided to launch. And so I recorded 22 episodes prior to launch, then had a launch strategy. And, and fortunately, from there, it seems the people who have listened like it and tell their friends. And that's that's why the growth has been pretty much word of mouth and natural um, from the start. So I actually found out about the learning leader podcast through one of our hosts, his name is Drew Estelle and he wanted to be on today, but he owns a company called bear solutions. And so he was out training some people on weapons and all that kind of good stuff as a former green beret usually does. But he's the one that said, Hey Robert, have you ever listened to Ryan Hawk and the learning leader podcast? I think you'd really get a lot out of it. Now I'm one of these individuals that really spends a lot of time reading books on leadership and management. And I've got a you know, a, a bookshelf here full of those types of books. John C. Maxwell is typically one of my uh, favorite authors that I have out there. Um, but one of the things I picked up on that you had just mentioned from your conversation and how it all got started was that, you know, you thought that this would be a great way to share it, the mentoring or the coaching this person, you know, Todd gave you during that conversation. What I find that you do very well, though, Ryan, is you're a very good interview format person, whereas we hate the interview format, to be honest with you. We, we really enjoy the conversation type of uh, format because it's so hard sometimes to find guests that can actually be relaxed, you know, in a mm -hmm. podcast setting. And I'm sure you probably found the same thing where it's, you, you I harken back to those Johnny Carson days or those guys, you know, that really tried to pull something out of the, uh, the guests and it was really difficult to do. Yeah. Well, I think that's what great interviewers do is it, it, it you make it feel you're, you're prepared enough to be able to take the conversation in a number of different directions. And most importantly, you're an active listener. And then you ask great follow-up questions. I think anybody can script questions. They can get help scripting questions. They can then read those questions. But the best of the best from whether it's Terry Gross or Sam Jones or Anderson Coopers or whoever it may be, they are great listeners and they ask really fantastic follow-up questions. So that's how I try to be, I try to be overly prepared for each and every conversation so that I can take it a number of different directions. It's just like when I played football, I was best when I was unbelievably prepared because then I could just go on the field and play and let it flow. And I, I take the same approach to podcasting, to interviewing, to having conversations with people. And I, I, I find that that has worked well for me. And obviously, just like anything else, the more reps you get, the better you get. If you're really thinking about it, you're focusing on it, you have people help you out, you listen. I mean, I've heard some people say that they don't listen to their own podcasts, which blows my mind. I mean, I listen to each of my conversations yeah. three or four three or four times each because I'm, I am I care a lot, one, about the message of my guest, and two, about improving and getting better. Sure. And I don't know how 
how you can improve and get better if you don't listen to yourself. It's just like watching game film or watching practice film when you play play sports. So I, I take that same approach. Well, when you think about the interview process, you know, when you're going on an interview for a job or something like that, you know, it's very similar too. You want to do as much coaching or as much practicing and everything ahead of time. And I'm sure in college football, you probably had a series of scripted plays, but it all depended upon how the defense reacted as to how you might change that mode, especially if you, I don't know if you were running a spread option or what kind of offense that you're running that might give you multiple options. Yeah, I mean, a lot of offensive coordinators would script the first 10 plays, and and sometimes we would stay on the script and sometimes we wouldn't, just to kind of give us an idea from a visualization perspective, okay, how do I execute this? How do I execute this? How do I execute this? What is the, you know, what what do we think the defense might show us? We want to try to force them into showing us how they're going to perform against us in certain formations. Uh, but, But for the most part, a game is not scripted. Uh, you don't necessarily, you can't predict fully what the defense is going to do. So you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to act on the fly. And interviewing conversational conversations are the exact same way. You have to listen to what the person is saying, and then obviously ask a follow up question based upon that. Not just, I mean, like I said, anybody can hammer through a list, but I think the great ones are the ones who are able to really. Uh, be dedicated listeners and and ask questions based upon what they're getting from their guests and know enough to be able to take it in a number of different directions. Why was leadership the focus? I mean, I know you said that you uh, started looking at leadership and everything as an opportunity, but what was it that kind of drove you to that? I mean, you're just coming out of fresh out of college, and typically a lot of people go out and get kind of started within the the private sector and and learning more about um, growth capabilities, but they're really not wanting to jump into management or leadership. Yeah, I was the same way. I mean, I came up playing quarterback uh, since the second grade and played all the way through high school and then in college and then for a few years after college. And when I got a job, I was an individual contributor, uh, a sales rep at a pretty big company. And um, after a few years, I was able to to do well enough to get the opportunity to interview for a management role, which I did. And then I got. And then a few years later after that, I interviewed for a director role, which I did. And then I got that. And then a few years after that, I interviewed for a vice president of sales uh, role in North America, which I interviewed and I got that. And along the way though, um, when, when I had that director role is when I started the podcast, uh, because I, I was, like I said, I was looking to grow. And so I did kind of work my way that the typical path that people I think try to get on when you go through corporate America. And it was great. I had, I had incredible experiences. Um, I learned a ton. I understood the art and the science behind selling and behind the fact that my success can only follow the success of my customers. And I learned so much through that process that it helped me immensely when it came to the podcasting and then certainly when it came to being a leader because I was also able to draw from what I did in athletics and then apply that when I became a first-time manager. And Obviously, I made a a ton of mistakes as a first-time manager, but I think that's that's part of the process is, is applying what you've learned before, uh, understanding why you made mistakes and then getting better the next time, the next time, the next time so that you gradually you're getting better and better and better and you're taking time to think and reflect and understand your mistakes and understand why you did well and, 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 and obviously continuously improve. And that's what, I, to me, being a, a learning leader is all about. Right, and out of curiosity, when when through your football career, your early football career, were were you often in the captain's role? Yeah, so pretty pretty much every team I've I've ever been on, um, 
I, you know, playing quarterback kind of puts you in the position where when you vote for captains, you, you, you have a leg up on other, other people, but I've still seen teams where the quarterback is not voted captain and that's usually a problem. But yeah, I, I typically, I think on just about every team I've been on from, uh, when I was in second grade to middle school to high school to college and then even after college in Arena Football League. That's quite interesting. So when, when you come into your management career, I guess, your leadership experience was was several years long, I guess. You know, you'd been doing those leadership roles within a football environment. And then where you you know, you made the comment there about when I went into my management role, I often made mistakes because being a leader and being a manager are often two different things and the best ones are both. But obviously mm-hmm. poor managers are the ones who are generally tend to be poor leaders and just think that management is about telling people what to do and expecting them to be just robots and, and follow those orders. So I guess you, you had the leadership experience sitting sitting there already and then you developed your, your management skills to, to catch up with that, I guess. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. I think I d- developed leadership um, skill through many repetitions of leading, of understanding the differences in people and the fact that you can't treat them all the exact same. Uh, you have to understand, you know, I played with a re- really diverse group of people in college. And then my my first year after college playing in Birmingham, Alabama, I was the most northern guy on that team. Uh, again, another <laughs> really diverse group of people down there. Right. And I'm from Ohio. And so um, it was just a fantastic experience to be able to go in and earn trust through my work to be able to walk in the huddle and call the play and have them respect me, even though it was kind of an outsider uh, at the beginning of that process. So when the season got started and to then obviously be a captain, I, I, I really uh, uh, took that seriously. And uh, so I think, yeah, you're, you're right. Exactly. Is the fact that I was able to use a lot of what I learned from a leadership perspective and it did translate well, but as a manager, it's definitely different when you become an actual boss. Cause I was never a boss before I became a manager. I was a leader of a team, but when you're the boss, that means you're the dinner table conversation of all those people that you lead. They're talking about you with their spouse and their kids and how you act and how you treated them and how you, how you manage the team. And, and that, uh, unfortunately at times I, I made mistakes, um, and uh, I was I was dedicated to learning and trying to improve, but sometimes the best, uh, I guess, wisdom can be developed through through action through action, and unfortunately through making mistakes and trying to learn from them. And, and it certainly helps to have good mentors along the way, so they can tell you some of the the how and the why behind uh, behind what you're doing. You know, it is interesting that you talk about manager versus leader, and the fact that you walked in with the skill set that a lot of people don't have, and that's in leadership having the ability to see things from a strategic perspective. So, I mean, you were, you were developing the plans and, and probably um, helping the coaches and looking at the, the script or what it is that you were going to do. You understood at least how it was developed, why it is that you were going to be acting a specific way by watching films, what the uh, opposing side would be doing. And so you were thinking strategically well before you were thinking about just leading people in widget making and, and typically that's a struggle that some managers have is that ability to see things from more of a, a broader perspective and a strategic uh, role. Yeah, and I think that's that's played a role in me getting the job. Uh, you know, interviewed at a young age, 26 years old, uh, that's younger than probably most people have the opportunity to manage at a, at a big multi-billion dollar company. And I think my background... Um, and my, my work ethic or a combination of those, those two things probably helped 
helped me uh, through that process is I was able to speak from experience, even though it was different experience, but I was able to, to, to share stories and what I've learned through those many years of, of, of me playing a, playing a role as a leader. And I think that, that helped, uh, helped me get the job. Um, one of your podcasts, a little, uh, well, I guess it's kind of the premise of your whole uh, podcast show is that you do believe that leadership can be learned. I think I stated that correctly. Yeah, definitely. I believe that. Yeah. You know, and, and although I support that somewhat, I do believe that there's somewhat of a, an innate ability or there's a component that we're born with, or maybe it's the socioeconomics or the culture that we uh, were, you know, either raised in or the um, environment that we were in to, to help this before we became a manager or a leader. Um that really is, in some cases, differentiates those individuals who maybe didn't have that same kind of upbringing and struggle with being a leader. As much as you try to train them, and especially within the military, we send our uh, leaders to all kinds of different training at different levels as they start moving up. But that doesn't necessarily mean because they achieved their rank or they attended these classes that they are going to be an effective or a good leader. I mean, yeah, I, I think there is something to certain people having uh, personality that, that that gives them a better chance to be more effective as a leader. I, I definitely do, but I'm also a big believer in, in having a growth mindset when it comes to anything, and certainly when it comes to, to, to leading. I don't think I was born with natural leadership ability personally. I'm more introverted, do not enjoy or, or certainly didn't relish the thought of, of, of speaking very much. As a quarterback, I think to be good, you have to do that. So I had to learn through, again, through practice and through being forced to do it. And I remember my coaches pulling me aside when I was in high school in between my freshman and sophomore year. And they said, as a freshman, it was okay that you were kind of quiet and you just called the play and you executed the offense and we did did, did okay. But now it's time for you to, to, to truly lead. And to truly lead, you've got to find your voice and that you need to be heard. And obviously you need to continue leading with your action and your work ethic, but you also have to learn to speak up and direct and coach and help other people. And you can't really do that unless you're willing to speak up. And so I definitely had to learn those skills. It did not come naturally. And I had a lot of help from great teammates who were older than me, who had been there before me. I had some incredible coaches, great parents, uh, two great brothers. So I think all of those things really help develop those those skills. And I'm still in the process of working on that a, a great deal. So I do think there are some natural things you could be born with. But so like most things, it's not a, you know, born or, or, or made. I think it's always a, a combination of both. But in my opinion, it's a little bit more made than, than born. Yeah, that, I that's I, sorry, Robert. I, I, I definitely agree with that, um, Ryan. You know, when, when people talk about natural leaders, they tend to be in adult life, whether it be in business, in military service, in sporting terms. But it's the, the portion before that that got the individual to that point where from a young age, they may have had siblings they had to look after. They may have played sport from five years old. And you're constantly developing that leadership ability from a very, very young age. And then when you come into a role where you're put into a leadership position, you've already had that experience. And then people think, wow, he's a natural leader. But it's been honed over years and years and years of doing things, whether it be in family, in sports, in 
you know, organizations such as Cub Scouts and things like that, where you just generally get given a little bit of responsibility and you grow within that role. And for me, it's definitely people can be taught it. You can be taught it and be a not so good leader. You can be taught it and be an excellent leader, but you can definitely be taught how to lead, I think, with... uh, it's a, it's a skill again, you know, enough repetition of doing something with a good coach, with a good mentor. I think you can definitely learn that skill and how good you are depends a little bit on your, you know, the, the, the natural side of things, your, your early development, as well as your, uh, your learn portion in, in later life. But it's for me, it's, it's, I, I agree. It's, it's a learn thing, I guess. And, and you can develop it. Um, I think, I had to build confidence through my work and that's what, that's where the coaches really help. They build the foundation of how to work and that work then led to some success in my craft and my craft happened to be playing sports and specifically football. And, and I think my, that work led to success in the field, that success on the field led to confidence and that hmm. confidence led to me being a better leader. Yeah. So I couldn't, point. I didn't, I, I don't feel like, I felt like I had to earn the right to lead and the, the best way to earn the right was to perform, especially when the lights were bright on Friday night in front of 10,000 people as your 14 year old freshman, that's where the confidence was built to be able to say, you know what, I think I can lead these guys because I'm performing. And then they respected that performance and that helped build credibility as a leader. Well, that growth mindset, I really picked up on that. I mean, that was a, you've got to have that willingness or that desire to want to grow. I mean, and so if you think you're going to be a leader just by somebody giving you the title, that's that's not what it's all about. It's about really immersing yourself into finding out what do leaders think, how do they work, you know, what makes them different from others, which kind of leads me to one of your guests that you had, which was a uh, co-offer of the CEO next door. So when I was listening to this podcast, initially, I'll have to tell you, Ryan, I was uh, first thinking, okay, this is another good to great copycat type of book. And mm-hmm. as the uh, as the conversation went on, it became very interesting, all of the statistics that they gathered and how they approached the, uh, the analysis much differently. And it was really about the high performers and high potentials and what sets them apart. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about, too. Those individuals who have that drive and that desire to go from being an introvert and realizing that they've been put into a special position um, to lead others and inspire others and so that they have to take on that additional knowledge. Yeah, I'm mean, talking about the one with Elena Batello, yes. who was a great leader in her own right, and it's a, it's a good book. That that episode got received a, a ton of feedback, which I'm I'm very happy uh, that it did because I think Elaine is incredible. Uh, but you, you're right. I, I think there's there's a lot there from that one. I think it's 256, uh, just just released with Elena about a month ago or so. And uh, yeah, I mean there there there's so much there we could we could dive into. I'm happy to take it any direction you guys want. Yeah, I think what was really cool about that, again, is the um, I want to talk about the high performers and high potentials, because I think that, you know, within the military, we have special operations or individuals who want to go above and beyond just your conventional military. And um, some people, you know, look at that and say, OK, well, that's not the direction that I wanted to go to. But you're you're segmenting them and saying that they were the high performers and the high potentials when, in fact, there are a lot of people that are in the conventional military and going through leadership or uh, wanting to be a manager and wanting to be a high potential or high performer. 
And I think it kind of fits in with what we're describing, that they have to get out of that shell. They have to start becoming a sponge and understand through both the mistakes of leaders that's led them that weren't very successful, uh, as well as gaining knowledge from individuals that have been very successful, that have been mentors to them. Yeah, and the, one of the big parts too, because it's very common for for someone to say, "Okay, how do you how do you get promoted, or how do you become a CEO?" And we talked about that, and it's it's common for for someone to say, "Well, you need to have a great mentor. You need to have people who champion you." And and there there certainly is um, there's research that backs that statement up, but there's even more that that states that you need to be a mentor. So becoming a mentor to others early in your career forces you to be clear and become a teacher. And that's that's an important part to think about for anybody even earlier in their career is become a mentor because then you have to solidify your beliefs. This is why I like doing doing podcasts like this where with guys like you who ask great questions because it forces me to solidify what I believe in. And that, that this is like more of a teaching role than the asking role. And I, and I love doing it. But that's that's the key that Elena talked about for people even earlier in their career is create opportunity for yourself to be a mentor to others. And one of the ways to do that is obviously you got to perform. You got to you got to become a person that somebody wants as a mentor. And if you're not a performer, you're not doing things right or you're not achieving results, as she would say, then nobody's going to want you as a mentor. So putting yourself as, in a position, even at a young age, to, to mentor others is going to help catapult you uh, to, to whatever length or, or place you want to go within your career. In the military, we call that lead by example. You know, it's, yeah. it's really getting out there. And I know it's probably even been shared on the private sector. But I mean, it's really about, you know, putting your best foot forward out there and showing that if you're wanting something from others, that you're willing to go through the same sacrifices, the same pains and stuff to get there. I love the fact that you're talking about putting them in that uncomfortable position. I mean, that's what it sounds like the coaches did with you at a very young age. And it's very fascinating to me when I speak with individuals like yourself that started off as very much an introvert, whereas I'm a very far extrovert and um, thrown into situations where it forced you to have to grow. You didn't want to do that maybe. And, or maybe you had a desire, but you, you knew that that was going to take you to an uncomfortable position, but people forcing you to do that and you accepting that, as a challenge, um, I think that combination is probably what helped you grow that much more. Great coaches and leaders are willing to push. They're willing. Uh, you guys know this better than anybody uh, with with your background, and, and I know this happens in the military. But I I was so lucky to have to have coaches that were willing to push. And there were days where I hated those guys and I love them to death. I know that they're the number one reason I got a college scholarship and had a, had a decent career, but they were willing to push me to lengths that I didn't know to, to, to areas, to heights that I didn't know I could get to. And that's what that I've drawn a lot from that to say, you have to be willing to do that. There's going to be days where your people might not love everything you're doing because you're pushing them uh, pretty hard and and they knew that they could do that to me and I would respond and so I I'm so grateful that they were willing to do that in January, February, June, July and certainly then in the fall when the season got started but I think that's that's something I really picked up as they expected me to be excellent they expect me to perform at a high level every day and I wanted to live up to those expectations and I believed I could because of them and uh, that's, the, that's the power of great coaches and, and great leaders. 
An excellent point. I I want to ask you though, who was your biggest inspiration as far as leadership? So did it begin begin at a very early age, or was it something uh, of an individual that inspired you to become a leader at a later stage? Definitely my parents and, and my dad. My dad coached us in football, and uh, I, I always I, I, he you know he also led a, a thousand person sales force for more than thirty years at a, at a big company and. Um, you know, obviously with my number one mentor in life and I'm just lucky to have really good parents and have two great brothers. And so I, that, that part, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve that. And I realized that I'm just lucky. And so I don't, I try not to take it for granted every day, but yeah, I got to see my dad coaching and leading and not only he led in the business world and led in his personal life as a husband and then led coaching our teams. I mean, I wanted to be like that. I still do, um, to this day and in, in the way that, that they lead my parents lead us. So it, it, for me, it just got lucky. Uh, you know, winning the parent lottery is, is like I said, it's not <laughs> something that I, I didn't earn that. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I just was born into it. And so when that happens, I think you got to try your best to make the most of it when you realize you're born into a fortunate situation with great people surrounding you. Um, and, and so I, I, that's, that's part of a big part of my motivation in life in general is, is to realize that, that, um, how fortunate I am. And, and, and so be, because of that, it, it motivates me to say, don't waste it, man. Like, don't take it for granted. You, yeah. you, you this is, this is a really cool thing. So, uh, it, it, that's where it started and that's where it continually uh, is to this day. What do you think is the secret sauce then of leadership? You know, we talked about getting out of your comfort zone and everything, but what have you found through all of your discussions with your guests that you would probably say is the common thread and so, some of that secret sauce? The best, so th I think about like the best coaches or the best leaders or the best bosses or the best managers you've ever had. And the, and the one thing, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things they have, but I, I, the one thing that, it, that the foundation of it all is that they really, truly cared. They really cared about me. Uh, they cared about our team. They cared about my, my, the people around me. They cared deeply and everything else stemmed from that deep care. And they, and they cared almost more for us than themselves. They realized they couldn't be successful unless we were successful. Um, they were dedicated learners too, constantly trying to improve, to get better approached each conversation with a genuinely curious mindset they all have that. And then certainly other things are built from that, right? A, a great work ethic, uh, incredible preparation that built confidence, a courage to stand up in tough moments. Uh, certainly, uh, as my dad would say, they, they were willing uh, and able to be in a good mood every day because the mood of the leader sets the, the mood of the, the, the tone for the rest of the team. Um, and, and then they developed levels of, of awareness uh, of themselves, of others, of environments, of situations, and how to handle themselves uh, in those environments. So there's there's a lot there. Uh, I don't know if it's secret sauce. I think it's really hard, but um, it started at a foundation level for having a deep care for the people that they serve and lead. Yeah. One of the things I think, Scott, you would agree that in the private sector at times, you don't always find that. I mean, they in the military, we get to know everything that clicks about an individual, or at least if you're a very good leader, that's one of the things you try to do. You try to learn about everything that uh, makes them you know, smile and happy throughout the day from everything from their troubles, what's going on in the home place, you know, their family, how many kids do they have, where do they live, what are the circumstances. You may even drive to their location so you can see if they're living in something that's uh, you know, proper standards or, you know, comfortableness and everything else. I mean, you really get to know your troops because 
when it comes down when bullets are flying, you want to know what's going to make them tick. And you also want to know what's going to maybe be a trigger effect that's going to cause something negative uh, where they may not be a part of the team or where they might check out or those types of things. So you pay close attention to that. I would say in the private sector, what I've learned is that not many managers or leaders take the time to do what you just described. Well, that's a bummer to hear. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, and, and maybe it's just my crossing. I don't know. Uh, no, Scott, I, yeah, I, I yeah. understand. You know, I understand it because when I, when I, I had a great mentor who's vice president of sales when I got my first job named Rex Caswell. And Rex sat me down and said, hey, uh, t- grab a notebook and write down everything uh, that you like that your manager does and write down everything that you don't like. And and just remember it and look at it and and so that when you become a manager you can you can remember what it was like to be a, a new rep and then an experienced rep and and what it was all about and, and right. it's not just about being liked but it's about the stuff that they do that is impactful because you knew I had a background in sports and that was a that was such great advice I still have this notebook literally literally sitting right here I, I've translated it into a Google Doc now to make sure it doesn't get lost but oh wow. Um, that was a that was really great advice that I've been doing for for more than uh, eleven years now because of his advice and that's helped me a lot and I the, the one unfortunate part is I would say that there are probably more um, notes in the column of of like the do not do side than yes. there are that do do side and I really remember the great ones and I yeah. I, I remember the, the 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 ones that weren't so great as well and so I've tried to to take what I've learned directly from my own experience as well as talking to two hundred sixty plus leaders from all over the world on my podcast and, and implement that into my own way of, of, of leading. I love the journal aspect. That's absolutely uh, wonderful because uh, we actually talk a lot about the podcast that you can learn just as much, if not more, for those who you know, were failed leaders that you ran across or so that you don't repeat that. As a matter of fact, it was something we talked about in the last podcast that we did this week. And uh, journaling is an excellent way of actually reminding yourself and constantly going back to that so that you don't repeat those bad steps. Um, Love the idea. Well, we learn in the moments of reflection. Yeah. And so if you don't build in time to reflect, to, to document your thoughts, when are you going to learn? It's really tough. Think about it. Like, yeah. when are you going to truly learn and digest and synthesize what has happened if you don't take moments to really think about it? And so I think that's why it's important to build in moments of reflection every single day. I think reflection is, is such an undervalued tool. And, you know, the, the medical profession, for example, very much pushes reflection um, particularly in learning aspects of medicine, uh, but also in practice as well. You know, people to put time aside to to go back over how they how they last interacted with a patient or how they last performed an operation. Ryan, do you find that through your 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 showing and the two hundred and sixty people that you've spoke to that lots of people who are achieving and performing well perform reflection? It's a commonality among the greats. It really is. Even you'd think the busiest people in the world that they block out time for this to think, to be by themselves, to walk, whatever. Maybe uh, Jesse Etzler, it's to go on runs. Sarah Blakely, it's to drive the long way in her car, creates a a 45-minute commute for herself, even though the drive is is 10 minutes if she went straight to the office. So I think it's important to – the people all have their own way that they reflect and where they do it and how they do it. But the the simple fact is that they do do it. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a commonality among those who are able to sustain excellence. 
going back to the point, uh, you know, about not getting to know your people and stuff as deeply as maybe some should, do you think that there might be an, um, I've always wondered this, if there might be some concern from individuals about the human resources side, because I mean, on many cases, you know, people, if you get too close, well, you might be crossing that line and everything from the, the policies or, you know, hum, human resources, uh, presentations and stuff that they give about, um, you know, that, so I, I've seen some leaders at least, uh, or managers who, who push back and, and they, they're fearful of certain things and questions and stuff that they ask to get to know their people. I think it, it, that's a shame if, if people aren't, it, they're so HR scared or maybe HR is so on top of them that you can't talk about their spouse or their kids or getting to know them. I mean, I, I, I instituted a, a document many years ago called getting to know you. And it's actually on my website. Now I wrote it, wrote a post about it, but basically, um, it, it's a, it's a number of questions about them as a person. And I, I use this at least once a year, sometimes more times. And obviously if I have a, had a new, new person on my team, we would both do the exercise together where there'd be a series of questions about them and their beliefs and what they think. And, you know, and then there's some funny ones too, that, that just to, to get to know their personality. But, um, the reason I did this is because I know, and I did it right away at the beginning of our relationship because they're, they're they don't really care how much I know until they know how much I care. And I'm sure you've heard that saying before, but I yeah. really believe, I really believe that. And so that was one way to establish that relationship. Like, Hey, you're not just a number. You're not just here to produce $1 million a year in revenue. I truly care about you, your goals, your long-term thoughts, your short-term thoughts, like what you want to be, how I can help you develop. Because there's two ways to coach. You can de- you can coach for development or you can coach for de- performance. And I think as a good manager, you got to do both. But a lot of people only coach for that in-the-moment performance. How are we doing? Or why did we not get this deal? Or why, what, why is the project late? As opposed to per- coaching for development long-term. And I love... In fact, I, 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 I enjoyed more as coaching for that development area to help them become better long term. And this is why I still have great relationship with people that maybe I managed seven years ago that we right. still have regular dialogue, mentor, mentee type conversations. And it's incredible to see some of the growth that they have had that they're now VP of sales at a multi-billion dollar companies when they were uh, an entry-level rep seven years ago. It's pretty cool to see the development and growth of people. But I think you've got to be diligent about that coaching for development part of your role as a manager. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, isn't it, though, when you see uh, mm-hmm. the people that you've guided and, and that you've built up? Because that's true leadership, I think, is that you don't focus on yourself and what your growth is and stuff as much as it is you're trying to help those below you do the same thing. You're trying to lift them up. And if they succeed even greater than what you had, then you know you, you really bask in that glory. I've, I've taken the greatest satisfaction off of that. And like you, having those individuals that are still around, sometimes I wonder, what did I – what did I do um, that that had them, you know, think of me as that mentor or as that coach or that leader that they looked up to? Uh, but you know, it's it's still one of those great moments. But I got to tell you, I still kind of reflect and try to think of what was that one thing or what was the thing that I helped them do that I could put that within a bottle. Uh, and maybe it was <laughs> just that whole sharing uh, or caring. Uh, and, and that deep sense of, you know, trying to understand them and, and just be real, be yourself, I think is another key component to being a leader. That, well, that's where it starts is the caring part and then yeah. being genuine and genuine and authentic because nobody, I mean, people are smart, right? You can see through somebody, whether it's in the military or in civilian life, I, I'd imagine you could see through somebody who is not genuine oh, and yeah. that's 
I, I haven't seen many people be able to have sustained excellence if they're not genuine to their true self and their form of, of leadership. Uh, it just doesn't really work. Well, before I let you out of here, I've got to ask you a question about, um, I know you, you listen to a lot of podcasts and you're really big in the leadership and you've had a lot of New York Times bestsellers on your show, but what is your favorite book on leadership? Oh man. Uh, favorite <laughs> book. Um, that's close to an impossible question. Uh, cause there's so Fair many, enough. so I'm, I'm not going to name one. Okay. I will name a few. Do it. I love, um, I don't know if this is on leadership, but I think it's a book everybody should read. The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. I'm from mm. Dayton, Ohio. That's where they had their bicycle shop, and that's where they started building their flying machine. I love that book. Um, the Effective Executive by Peter Drucker is a classic. It's it's old. Uh, uh, Tom Peters in Search of Excellence is a classic that I think everybody should read. Um, man, there, there's, there's so many good ones. Give and Take by Adam Grant is a book that I think is, is, um, critical for people, uh, to read. You know, I also like, uh, Maxwell. So 21 irrefutable laws of leadership is, is one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I guess I could keep going. I'll, I'll stop. No, no, <laughs> Sorry, that's great. I, those, I gave, those are, I gave you too many. No, no, those are all great because I, I mean, think... good to great was like my Bible, by the way, good to yeah. great by Jim Cox was a Bible for me when I was just getting it out of football and into management. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a surreal moment for me to get to talk to Jim about that since he doesn't hardly do any appearances. So that 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 was a, that's a big one too um, for me. Uh, I would say I love that book. And the second book that I would say that's uh, one of my favorites is the book um, Execution by uh, Ram Charan. Uh, yeah, that have you ever read that book? Yeah, he's yeah another like yeah. There's there's so many. We're I, so lucky. I mean, we're so lucky to have these virtual mentors that yeah. put this incredible work out there and it costs us 15 bucks to get a life's worth of knowledge from a, a, a genius. We are just, yeah. we really are lucky that, that books exist. And if you're not taking advantage of, of books, I, I just, I don't understand that mindset because we're just lucky. We really are that they exist. Yeah. Well, and you know what, by the way, I went out and bought the book the CEO next door, just because of listening to that, I thought, okay, I've got to find out more about this because I got sucked into it. So it's another one. Uh, I know a lot of people try to do it, you know, where they read it online or they, you know, somebody uh, author, there's just something for me about just picking up an actual hardcover and opening it up. And I'm old school. I take out my highlighter, I fold pages, I do whatever so that, you know, one day I'm thinking of something and um, I think, well, geez, did I read that somewhere? And I'll dig through my a couple of my books where I think it might be. And sure enough, I'll find it through some kind of folded page, highlighted section, um, or I might find some other golden nugget that I wasn't even looking for. Uh, so those types of things you just can't replace, you know. Yeah, I should uh, make an intro to Lena for you. He'd be good. It'd be great. She'd be a great guest for you. Yeah, no, that would be excellent because I think that mm -hmm. she has a lot of insight that actually would be helpful to the uh, the population, our audience and stuff, which is uh, made up of both uh, military as well as the civilian sector. So um, I think uh, what you guys discussed would be definitely spot on. So how do people well, find out? Well, go ahead. I was just going to say from a, from a military perspective, you know, I um, – have never laid my life on the line like the, like the heroes of our military. So I'm, I'm just so grateful for, for guys like you, uh, who have, and, uh, I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, it's a, it's a, 
it's the the ultimate it really is if you talk about heroes like that's that's the real heroes um uh really for us as americans it makes me proud and so it's i i'm just so appreciative so, so thank you yeah, thank you. I, you know, we don't look at it that way. We, uh, we just. I know. Look. Yeah. <laughs> I know you yeah. don't. I know. I've talked to a lot of military guys, and none of you do. And yeah, that's just another part of the the natural humility I think that comes with it. And um, yeah, I just I'm just very grateful. I mean, I really am. I think it's it's just we're we're just lucky. We're very lucky. Well, thanks. I mean, it's always one of those things for us to be honest with you. It uh, for most of us at least, it makes us feel very awkward uh, when somebody says thank right. you for your service or something. It's you know, but uh, yeah. How do you, uh, how do, would people find out more? Of course, we mentioned the Learning Leader podcast, but what are other ways in which they can find some of your uh, information about your books or about you and may, where you might be speaking next and those types of things? Yeah, uh, learningleader.com is the easiest way. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Twitter at RyanHawk12, RyanHawk12. Excellent. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, the insight and the information that you gave us is invaluable. And uh, keep pulling, pushing away on your own podcast. I love listening to it each week. It's one of those things when I'm on the flights, I, uh, it's one of the first podcasts that I listen to. So I really enjoy it. Thank you. That uh, means a lot to me and um, appreciative and, uh, again, uh, honored to, to be a part of your show. All right. You have a great day. Thank you. Good to meet you, Ryan. Yeah, you too. You too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.